chapter six of order number eleven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org order number eleven by caroline abbott stanley chapter six two and two are five the boys were off bright and early the next morning virginia and sally going with them in the carriage under uncle reuben's guardianship as far as the landing colonel trevilian had intended going too on his gray horse but at the last moment he was called away on urgent business in another direction there seemed likely to be a hitch in the plans for a while but virginia had pleaded oh mother it's all planned and sally will be so disappointed and so will matt delano for we were going to stop there for dinner and take her down to the boat with us now mother please uncle reuben will take good care of us father that last appeal won the day as it had since she was old enough to put her arms around his neck and say in just this tone now father oh yes my dear i think they may as well go mr delano will ride down from independence to the boat with them and virginia flew upstairs to get ready miss abby was a good deal scandalized on two counts first they would be absent from the opening of school which seemed to her far more important than any mere leave-taking and second they would have to ride back all that distance alone with this old negro she spoke of this to miss nanny afraid to have them go with uncle reuben exclaimed miss nanny why he is as trustworthy as the apostle paul he has driven these children around ever since they were born and their father and grandfather before them mercy uncle reuben the ride to independence was a long one but it seemed all too short to-day it was likely to be the last one they would take together for a good while the roads had dried up the day was fine and sally was never in higher spirits which is saying a great deal for sally's spirits were of the effervescing type she and beverly kept things going and it was well they did for gordon was rather quiet and virginia's gaiety intermittent once sally got out to get some flowers of which the prairie was full and beverly followed her to see that she did not get left he said or snake-bitten and they could hear her shrieks as he laid this danger forcibly before her gordon moved across to the place beside virginia but when he was there and the opportunity had come for confidential talk he could think of nothing but commonplaces to say and the time so short when the train is coming and we stand on the platform and know that in a moment our chance will be gone and that when it is we shall think of a hundred things that we wanted to say our brains seem palsied and all we can think of is be sure to write and did you get everything gordon could not tell her all the things that clamoured for utterance there was not time and this was not the place besides he had but little of the small change of conversation and when he thought of nothing worth while to say said it a strange constraint had fallen upon virginia too 
and when they did talk it did not seem altogether satisfactory outside on the prairie beverly was saying of course you'll write to me sally i don't know sally returned teasingly you write to me and maybe i'll answer huh maybe i'll write said beverly sally laughed and then said seriously beverly trevilian you know you don't care for my letters you would rather have two pages from lois chandler than ten from me now honest wouldn't you beverly caught her hands and held them sally he said solemnly let me look into your eyes i think i caught the reflection of the prairie just the least little speck of it but sally had turned her eyes away everybody can see it but virginia she said sally you are talking nonsense what could lois chandler ever be to me he spoke impatiently but as if his impatience were more at a situation than at her i'm sure she's a very nice girl said sally with a woman's contrariety then she laughed beverly it is so funny virginia thinks gordon likes lois and i halfway think so myself he turned quickly toward her you do pshaw well i said halfway you needn't look at me like that when they reached the carriage which had stopped at their call gordon kept his seat sally you are not old enough to have conscientious scruples about riding backward are you he found his place satisfactory at any rate gordon i am devoted to you i would strangle any scruple that would not give you the opportunity of looking forward she said settling herself beside beverly at independence they had a disappointment matt delano had other company and was not able to go down to the boat with them but mr delano dropped everything to ride down with them on horseback and see the boys off as colonel trevilian had requested their good-byes were spoken at the gangway gordon whispering hurriedly as he held her hand will you write to me virge and virginia answered quietly yes sally threw parting jests to the last then the plank was drawn in the boys disappeared and reappeared on the guards the churning of brown waters began hats were lifted from two handsome heads two white hands were waved from the shore there was a hearty good luck to you boys and they were off the girls did not look at each other till they had said good-bye to mr delano and were in the carriage as they started virginia leaned forward to give some direction to uncle reuben when she turned toward her friend a shocked expression came over her face why sally she cried sally for sally was lying in an ignominious heap in the corner of the carriage shaken with sobs i know just how you feel said virginia with consummate tact and an ominous heaving of her own breast i feel that same way about brother and gordon is just like a brother to you on the thomas h benton the two young men were stowing away their belongings in their staterooms and preparing for the journey which even with clear sailing would be like an ocean passage of to-day for length if they struck a sandbar there was no telling when it would end they sat out late that night on the guards watching the endless processions of trees willows and cottonwoods and sycamores pass by in ghostly file dreaming young men's dreams of the future and planning their lives with as much confidence as if there were no unknown factors to deal with 
you will get through in two years beverly was saying yes and then well i rather think i'll settle in kansas city if it is large enough by that time to support another physician father thinks it is going to make quite a town you never had any leaning toward medicine no sir when i come back for good it will be to take up life at keswick i think it would break father's heart if i should do anything else you see the trevilians have been planters in virginia from time immemorial and i suppose i have a sort of inherited love of the soil i'm going to be a planter in missouri only it won't be tobacco alone that i'll plant and i will probably be called by the less high-sounding name of farmer still with the two thousand acres that will be mine some day i think i might almost be called a planter it was of their prospects they talked of establishing themselves of prosaic plans for making a livelihood but they were verging upon manhood's estate and who can doubt that mingled with their thoughts of drugs and crops were dreams of fair faces and bright eyes eden was incomplete until woman came she brought trouble with her it is true as she has brought it ever since but she was fair to look upon and from that time to this when adam's sons have planted them gardens they have not had the resolution to shut her out so gordon's thoughts were of virginia and the heir of keswick's with beverly said gordon breaking a silence that had lasted long you placed me in a very uncomfortable position the other day did you know it no beverly lifted his eyes from the contemplation of the flashing spray of the side-wheel to look in genuine surprise at his companion when the day you left virginia thinking i had been walking down in the woods with lois chandler she wasn't that funny broke in beverly with a laugh you know i believe she had a sort of suspicion that she was wrong for she asked me at supper-time where i was that morning what did you tell her told her i was out hunting as i was she thought it took me all morning to get those few prairie chickens i suppose and he laughed again i don't see anything very funny about it gordon said with uncompromising gravity i wish you would look at it seriously i couldn't tell her the truth because i had promised you not to but i tell you i didn't like the position it placed me in oh said beverly lightly she'll never think of it again she will think of it she asked me again to-day when you and sally were getting the flowers if it was lois i was walking with that morning the very fact that i don't tell her naturally makes her think there's something wrong something i'm keeping back i think you ought to have told her oh gordon you don't know what wrath i would have brought down on my poor head father won't hear to my looking at a girl who hasn't a pedigree as long as the moral law and mother isn't much better i wouldn't quite say that they think it a crime for a person not to have a grandfather and a great-grandfather perhaps not even a misdemeanor but an indiscretion certainly these old virginia families have tar-bucket memories and they always want to look it up in the herd book confound it why is it that the prettiest girls never had any pedigree and the ugly ones there's molly driscoll now counts back to the time of the flood a little before i believe and who would ever want to go with molly driscoll let her keep the company of her antediluvian ancestors i say 
gordon was not to be diverted i wish you would absolve me from my promise he said soberly i ought never to have made it in the first place no sir beverly shook his head in a tantalizing way but there was an undercurrent of purpose beneath the light words i hold you to that promise you said upon honor that you would never tell until i said you might and i won't release you from it you are never to let on in any manner that i've ever been in the habit of going down to old man chandler's you've promised besides gordon he continued in expostulation you know it is all in fun there can never be anything serious between lois chandler and me why it is ridiculous gordon lay pushed his chair back and stood up as if to end the conversation then drop it he said roughly and drop it now if you are not in earnest stand aside and let some honest fellow go in that is an affair of this sort that can neither be carried on in the open nor be treated seriously will lead to no good he left him as abruptly as he had spoken it was the nearest approach to a quarrel the two had ever had beverly turned and looked after him amazement in every feature well by jove he said i half-way believe sally is right who is the honest fellow that wants to go in in earnest can it be himself he sat there late into the night looking at the white spray as it fell from the wheel and thinking no not quite thinking but letting his thoughts stray whithersoever they would and they strayed oftenest to the humble house where sweet-faced lois chandler lived alone with her peculiar father the girl was wonderfully pretty and she was good too if she only had a pedigree the white spray still dashed from the wheel there was a fascination in watching it how pure it was how it flashed in the starlight and how irretrievably it was lost when it touched the black vortex below i don't know but he is right he thought i'm glad i'm going away she'll forget me before i get back and maybe i'll forget her i hope so anyway and then a vision flitted before him of lois chandler's blue eyes in which there had been just a hint of tears when he saw them last and the golden hair which fell about her face in such profusion and had somehow enmeshed itself about his heart and the soft cheek that was like a rose-leaf and he was not sure that he wanted to be quite forgotten after all End of chapter 6